0: Welcome to the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast, where we explore biblical hermeneutics so we can discover how to live biblically for God's glory. Welcome back to the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast. Today is the second episode of the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast, where we're going to be covering the question, Why biblical hermeneutics? I am super stoked to be discussing this, as it's so important to me, uh, and I have multiple reasons why it's so important to me, and we'll cover those today. Uh, but it's just, it, this, this is the stuff that excites me. I just get so excited when we're talking about biblical hermeneutics, which of course is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast. Uh, but we're going to start a multi-part series on why biblical hermeneutics today. And today, I'll be giving my reasons why, uh, why I think biblical hermeneutics is so important. And then in the next few episodes, I'll be interviewing some other professionals in the area of biblical hermeneutics. Uh, and, and why do they think that biblical hermeneutics is so important. There may be some overlap. Uh, we, we have very similar thinking, uh, but, but I think it'll be good for us to get kind of a full perspective of why this matters. And So we'll do a few, a few different episodes. Maybe uh, the interview will throw in a little bit of a, a different feel uh, with the podcast. But that's okay. I think it's going to be really good. So I hope you stick around uh, for those episodes, Why Biblical Hermeneutics. But before we get into why biblical hermeneutics, as defined as hermeneutics or or principles uh, guiding interpretation that are from the Bible, I just want to talk about hermeneutics in general. Why, Why does it matter? Why does the topic matter? Why should you take time to study it? And I would put it this way, proper hermeneutics are vital for effective communication of all kinds and for all people. Right. If we're on different wavelengths on how we're to understand communication, we're going to understand things differently. And an improper hermeneutic method leads to a false understanding of reality, but also just a false understanding of what your neighbor's trying to say. I mean, think about it. Uh, it doesn't take very long to sit and think to understand where this matters, right? I mean, think about a husband and a wife uh, communicating with each other. When when uh, I say something and it's, I intend it to be understood a certain way, but it's understood differently, that can lead to some uh, misunderstanding, which then leads to tension, maybe argumentation, maybe a little bit of fighting, some heartache. Uh, so uh, it leads down a path that if you've been married any amount of time, you understand what that leads to. And it's not a lot of fun, and it's certainly not effective and not beneficial for the marriage itself. Or maybe in a courtroom right, the uh, defendant's trying to uh, state his case of why he's innocent, Uh, or uh, the the prosecutor's trying to assert that the person is guilty. Uh, Nonetheless, you're trying to communicate uh, to a jury who's going to make a decision that will affect that individual's life, uh, uh, potentially their whole life, right? And so uh, understanding and understanding how we are to understand communication becomes apparent and very, very important. Uh, And so it doesn't take it doesn't take sitting on that long to understand why it's important. But I would suggest that even beyond that, even just in in your own life as an individual, hermeneutics, it informs all of one's worldview, as I would suggest that hermeneutics is foundational for establishing your worldview. And so what is a worldview? The simplest way I can put it, and it often comes across as pretty redundant, but it's just simply the way one views the world. Right, You look out at reality, and what do you see? How do you view it? Uh, that is your worldview. Uh, it's how you understand reality. Uh, Dr. Christopher Cohn, he makes it a lot easier to kind of understand. He creates this chart, which you can find at drcohn.com. I don't think he has it uh, on a dedicated page yet, but I've reached out to him and told him he needs to because it's a very effective chart, very helpful. Uh, I, I believe it's just something he created in Adobe Illustrator, but it, it, it communicates... Uh, all about worldview in one image and is very helpful. Uh, so you can go to drcone.com and probably just put in the search engine uh, worldview chart. I'm sure it'll pop up in an article somewhere. Uh, but basically, I'm going to try to explain it to you. It's got four building blocks. And when you're looking at worldview, uh, these four building blocks is what makes up one's worldview, right? There's four categories, if you will, of one's worldview. And when you're looking at worldview, you have to start from the bottom category and work your way up. So the bottom block uh, is the foundation. The next block builds on the bottom one. The next one builds on the bottom two, and the fourth one builds on the rest, right? So it's a progression, if you will. Start from the bottom, work your way to the top. The bottom two blocks discuss the is of worldview. What is? What exists? What is reality, right? What is the source of authority? How do I interpret that source of authority, and what does that authority have to say about reality itself right within reality you're talking about the makeup of mankind uh the makeup of the world uh, is there more than just the material is there is is there only material in reality right and so there's a whole bunch of questions foundational philosophical questions does god exist uh fill in the blank anything dealing with reality that's epistemology uh, and metaphysics those are the two bottom blocks the top two blocks deal with the ought, okay? So based on what is, based on who I am, based on whether God exists or not, based on what the world is, based on what's my purpose in life, based on what's valuable and what's not valuable, based on what's the future, what's the plan, what's the design, what's the purpose, uh, what are those last things that I can look to in the future, what's my reason for living? Once you understand the is, uh, you then move to the ought, it's Like, okay, now what do I do about it? And you know, how, how do I live? That's dealing with ethics and sociopolitical thought. Okay, so the bottom two blocks to deal with is, what is reality? The top two blocks deal with ought. Now, what do I do about it? And again, we start from the bottom and work our way to the top. The bottom block is called epistemology, and it's the study of knowledge. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today in today's episode, is epistemology. It's the study of knowledge. It answers questions like, how do you know? Who or what should we trust? How do we know? And how do we how do we trust? Who do we trust? What do we trust? How can we have certainty? Is it possible to have certainty? Can I be certain of anything? Am I living in a simulation? Is there somebody that's controlling a game and I'm simply one of the CPUs or I'm I'm one of the NPCs? I should say. I'm sorry. Uh, Right. So how do we understand? How do we have certainty? And is it even possible to have certainty? Can I be certain of anything? Right. And Rene Descartes he goes through this whole thing where he doubts everything. And he comes to this one conclusion that he can be certain he exists. And the reason he can be certain he exists is because he's thinking. And that's how he comes to his source of authority and all the, all the rest of his worldview. But he doubts everything. He concludes he can have certainty, but he can only have certainty in a very limited amount of things. And then that leads to the rest of his worldview. And so epistemology is really this foundational category, but it deals with what is. What is the source of authority and how do I interpret that source of authority, right? Is the source of authority trustworthy? Do we know that the source of authority exists? If we do, how do we know it exists? Can we have certainty that it exists? Can we have certainty that we exist, right? So all those questions that, that, uh, that seem obvious to most people, uh, when you start digging into them, they can be very difficult to answer, right? Like, do you exist? Well, of course I exist. What kind of question is that? How do you know you exist? Oh, well, because I can see myself in a mirror. Well, can you trust your senses? Well, yeah. Do you trust them all the time? Well, not necessarily, right? They can deceive you. Uh, Okay. It's because I think, well, have you ever thought wrong, (laughs) right? So there's all these questions of epistemology and can you have certainty, right? So, so some of those questions seem obvious, but they're really not as obvious as you might think. Okay. So the, the block that comes after that is metaphysics and it's the study of reality, right? So how do I, how do I know? How, how can I perceive reality? Okay. Now that I have my, grid by which I'm going to see reality, now let's go look at it. Right? So what is out there? What is reality? Right? What, what actually exists? How do I value things? What's good? What's bad? Uh, teleology, the, the, the study of, of design or purpose. Uh, eschatology, the study of last things. Right? All those fall into metaphysics. And actually, I would suggest that every category of systematic theology finds itself in metaphysics. Uh, one could argue that within epistemology, you have bibliology. But even bibliology, a study of the Bible, it's what is the Bible. That is metaphysics. Right? So how do we understand the Bible? And those, that's what we're going to be dealing with in this podcast. But, uh, so metaphysics, what is? That's where all your theology goes. Now, that is the, those are the two categories that fall into that is category. But now what about the ought? Within the ought category, you have two categories, which are ethics. And that is uh, how should the individual act? What ought they to do? And then there's sociopolitical thought or sociopraxy, and that is how should we act? What, what should we do? What ought we to do as a community or as a group? You can take that from the family unit uh, to a whole society, and, and uh, this is where you're going to get one's view of government and what should the government be doing. Right now we're getting into the political stuff, and this is where most people like to sit. Most people like to argue politics. You know, What do you think about abortion? Uh, what do you think about capitalism, right? You're dealing with all of these sociopolitical issues, but the problem is we neglect epistemology and metaphysics and ethics, to be, to be frank. But you, you totally skip the foundation, right? It's like, okay, let's, let's talk about abortion. We disagree. Why do we disagree? And it always is going to root down into epistemology, always. You'll almost always find the difference if you push hard enough You'll find the difference in epistemology, and if you don't find the difference in epistemology, then one of you are inconsistent at some level, right? Because if we actually hold to the same epistemology or how do we know reality, then one of us is inconsistent as we move up the chart, right? Because we we have the same root. We're coming out of the same foundation, and so we should have the same result. And if we don't, then, then we've differed and been inconsistent somewhere within our worldview, And it's good to identify those things. The difference is almost never uh, only in the socio-political realm. It's almost always deeper than that. I mean, I can't think of one instance where my difference is only going to be in the socio-political realm. We agree absolutely on epistemology. We totally agree on reality or metaphysics. Absolutely, we uh, we definitely uh, agree on ethics. Oh, but we disagree on socio-political. Not going to happen. It's all in the epistemology. Uh, that's the root, that's the foundation, that's where you find your presuppositions, your, your first assumptions, if you will. And so epistemology is incredibly important, and in this epistemology, that foundation, that's where we find hermeneutics. Right? So epistemology, there's two subcategories, and that is source of authority and interpreting authority. So source of authority is the uh, who gets to determine reality, or what gets to determine reality. Right you've got the famous uh the, the senses are the source of authority uh no, Descartes says no, it's the mind, it's rational thinking that that's the source of authority rationalism uh the the, the senses that would be empiricism uh, or you have uh, some who would say no, I'm the source of authority because we can't be certain about anything or you kind of get into a little bit of of Nietzsche who uh, is kind of responsible if you will, for postmodernism, or you get some others who are a little bit more no let's do let's do both uh you know kant kind of deals with both uh rationalism and empiricism and does a little bit of a of a hybrid if you will at some level it's a lot more complicated than that when you start looking at individuals but if i could if i could uh uh with danger of oversimplifying make it that simple then then you know that's where you go source of authority uh, and then uh, beyond that Okay, so you have a source of authority, that source of authority is communicated, now how do we understand it? That's hermeneutics. How do you understand the source of authority? How do you interpret that authority? Right? So this is where epistemology and hermeneutics finds its place. I would suggest the desire to understand the world around us is innate in almost all human beings. Uh, everyone wants to understand at some level. Now, they may want to understand only what they want to understand, maybe not necessarily a pursuit of truth. Uh, in fact, I, I know uh, uh, biblically, uh, most all people don't want to pursue truth. Right? We see Paul in Romans 1 uh, stating that all uh, know God. They know God exists, yet uh, they suppress that truth. It's an act of suppression. So it's, it's an act of walking away or pursuit of falsehood. But at some level, everyone wants to understand the world around us. And so how do we understand that reality? That's epistemology. Do you exist? How do you know you exist? Are the Denver Broncos actually a pro football team? And that's highly debated. All right. Does God exist, I would suggest, is the most foundational and root question that we have to deal with in epistemology. And questions of metaphysics, those have to be answered by one's epistemology. And so it's important to understand reality is what is as established by the Creator. Now, to be transparent, I'm obviously coming from the biblical worldview, or at least I strive to be as biblical in my worldview as I possibly can be, which means I hold to a biblical epistemology, and uh, that includes a biblical hermeneutic. And so from my perspective, God is that source of authority, as uh, as revealed within the scriptures, he is the source of authority, and he has communicated. And so, reality—he has established reality. We see this in Genesis one and two. God is the creator of all things; he created reality, uh, and it's our job to discover what that reality is. And he's communicated with it. Uh, he's communicated with us. So, whether we understand it correctly, it doesn't change reality. Reality is what it is. But as one is contemplating reality, to answer the questions of reality, one must view epistemology first. It's the first study in worldview, and it's the necessary category for answering the questions of metaphysics. So one might say, well, no, uh, uh, hermeneutics isn't foundational, or the source of authority isn't foundational, epistemology in general. Metaphysics comes first because it doesn't matter what you understand about it. And I would say absolutely in the study of philosophy, uh, yes, metaphysics comes first. It doesn't matter what I understand about it. It is what it is. Reality is what it is. But in worldview, I have a viewer. Right? So if I'm studying my own worldview, I am the viewer. Therefore, I have to understand uh, epistemology first in order to establish my worldview. Okay, so there is a viewer, and so epistemology is the most foundational category. And again, within epistemology, you have two categories, the source of authority and the interpretation of that authority. So let's talk getting in a little bit more about biblical hermeneutics here and why it matters uh, I would define authority as that which has the rightful say so right so they're responsible for the defining the rest of one's worldview they're they're responsible to, for defining reality itself and so some worldviews would have multiple sources of authority while others have one for instance within the uh, within the church you've got the Catholic Church the Catholic Church would hold to a multi authority uh a, Practically speaking, right? And and they would hold to this uh, most holy tradition, which is the teaching of the church, which they would argue is based on the scriptures. Uh, They would actually say it comes from the same wellspring of life, I think is the actual wording they use in the catechism. So you have tradition and you have the scriptures. And so uh, they come from the same wellspring of life, if you will, but they're two separate authorities uh, in that they're two different things, right? And so that would hold as a a multi-source of authority in that worldview. But I would suggest that the biblical worldview places God as that source of authority. And so we'll look at that in just a minute. But I want to deal with one term real quick. It's called fideism. And it's really, I want to deal with this whole concept for just a moment. And the biblical worldview, along with other religion-based worldviews, are accused of fideism, or starting with faith instead of reason. It's this idea that... that. Uh, you're basing your whole worldview on something you don't know. You just believe it to be true. But I would submit this. Every worldview does an original step of faith. And the first step in worldview is necessary, right? So uh, this list leads down a whole bunch of different rabbit trails that maybe we'll get to in the future, but you're dealing with circular reasoning and things like that. But every worldview has an original step of faith. Even the atheistic worldview or a, a materialistic worldview uh, any any worldview that deals with origins, uh, which every worldview does, everyone has to have an understanding of origins. It's a step of faith, right? How do you know uh, that something uh, is is true if you were never there to experience it, right? It's this the, the kind of the classic Big Bang theory. You know, science has proved it. Well, not really. There's a lot of faith involved there. Uh, I would suggest. Um, it would take more faith for me to think that everything around me exists without God than it does for me to understand it existing with God. But nonetheless, every worldview starts with a step of faith. There's no, there's no avoiding it. Uh, and so the, the, the step of faith that I'm taking in the biblical worldview uh, is that God exists. The biblical God exists, and the scriptures tell us the biblical God exists, and the scriptures tell us that we already know it. Everyone knows the biblical God exists, and to, to say otherwise is an act of suppression of the truth. And so that, that's the, that's the uh, position I'm coming from, just to be transparent. And this is my reasoning for God as the source of authority. We see this, uh, we see this in the scriptures, Romans 4.17, Romans 13.1, particularly Romans 13.1, dealing with the idea that all authority comes from God, and the government has been given authority by God, and they are ministers of God. Right, so this uh, the argument that he is the true source of authority, the other is his basis for authority. I would suggest is found in creation. Right, and and that that you, I'm pushing the line a little bit because one could argue, no, the basis of his authority is that he's God. But but walk with me down this path for just a moment. We see in Genesis one one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates all of reality outside of himself. He is not created. Uh, right. And that's where the argument that authority comes because of who he is. And, and that's true. Uh, but it can also be found in his creating all things. Right. We see it in Psalm 24, one, Job, 42, Job's arguing with God and God basically questions him down and says, you know, where were you when the foundations of the earth were made? Right. He, he points back to creation and his control over creation to to uh, assert himself, if you will. Uh, this is another example I got from uh, Christopher Cohn a long time ago, and I really appreciated uh, this example, and I use it all the time because it just it, it hit home with me on this idea of authority. Right? So I, I, have, I had, now I actually have a brown couch, uh, but I had two red couches, and I use it better because the material that, was, that they were made out of is like that uh, fake faux leather, if you will, but it wasn't leather. It was like a microfiber type thing. Like you even thought about water getting on it, and it stained. Right? You didn't even have to spill anything on it, it would stain. And so uh, we had bought these couches, and uh, we have, uh, I have two daughters, and uh, they like to eat cereal. When we lived in our old house, we would allow them to have cereal in the living room, but they had to sit at a table, and they had these small chairs, and it was a Minnie Mouse table or whatever, and they could eat cereal there, but they couldn't eat cereal on the couch. So I, made that, I established that rule, no eating on the couch, because my reasoning was you're terrible at eating cereal, you get milk everywhere every time, if you do it on the couch, the couch is ruined, right? And I own the couch. So I'm making the rules. So I, I, I have that couch. They, you're not allowed to eat on the couch. But then uh, one night they're sitting there eating their cereal. I want a bowl of cereal. So now I go get a bowl of cereal and I plop down on the couch and I have my bowl of cereal. And the question is, am I wrong for doing so? And the answer is no. And why is that? Well, it's because I own the couch. It's my couch. I make the rules for the couch. Girls don't get to eat on the couch. I do get to eat on the couch. If you want to make the rules for the couch, go buy your own couch. Right. It's kind of the idea there. I own it, therefore, and and of course, every analogy breaks down. Really, God owns the couch, and I'm stewarding the couch, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Now, is it wise to do that, right, to eat cereal in front of him on the couch? Maybe not. Uh, Maybe not the best thing to do, but nonetheless, uh, you get the point, right? I own the couch, therefore, I make the rules of the couch. Well, if God created all things, he owns all things. Therefore, he gets to define all things. He's the authority over everything. Uh, He created me. He owns I am his. My life is his. My time is his. My money is his. Everything is his. And uh, we could go into the scriptures. Maybe we'll do this at a later time. I don't have I don't have time in this episode to do it, but but we are stewarding God's resources. That's what we're doing. So I'm stewarding God's resources. That means I'm stewarding, I'm managing my life for God's glory, right? There's now we're getting into some uh, purpose statements. But Nonetheless, I'm, I'm stewarding what God has given me, and he owns everything. He's given me breath. He's given me life. He's given me money. He's given me kids. He's given me a spouse. He's given me a home. He's given me all, fill in the blank, and they're all his. And he's given them to me to manage. So that's my role, but he is the source of authority because he owns all of it. Uh, and so any authority I have, he's given to me, but ultimately I still answer to him. And so he is the source of authority in, in worldview. If the biblical God exists, which he does, then he is the authority, the sole authority uh, to an exclusive authority to establish reality. And that which he has communicated is true uh, because he is authoritative and he's revealed himself as a truth teller, if you will. Now, I do want to spend just a minute. Uh, God has, has revealed himself in three ways, right? So God is the source of authority in worldview. But how do we understand him, right? How has he revealed himself? And so that message then comes with authority, right? It's like, uh, I put it this way. There's two kings, and one king writes a message to another. And the messenger carries the message in a scroll, because I like, you know, now it would be you know, email or whatever. But, but nonetheless, he carries the scroll to the other king, and uh, the king reads it. Who has the authority in that message, right? The king has communicated. He's written the scroll, It's given to a messenger, and the messenger delivers it. Does the messenger have the authority? Well, no, of course not. He's just delivering the message. The message carries authority, but what authority does it carry? Is it the message itself, or is it the king who wrote the message? It would be the king who wrote the message, right? The king is communicating. He's simply taken knowledge. He's uh, packaged it uh, using language, and he's delivered that to the other king, right? So it it carries the king's authority. So the author of the message the message carries the author's authority. So as God has communicated, in what ways is it communicated? Because those communications have authority. Okay, so there's three ways that he's communicated. One is general revelation. Uh, he's communicated in a general sense. right? We see this in Romans 1, 20 to 20-21, as he's dealing with creation. Creation uh, reveals God in, in a general sense, in general ways. We can know of his divinity. Uh, we can know of his existence, of course. Uh, he's communicated to us and in us, which is a very fascinating thing, which I'd love to spend a lot of time on, but uh, don't have the time. But look at uh, Romans 2, uh, when it's dealing as God is written on our hearts. And so I would suggest that not only is it what we see, but it's what God has put within us as humanity. Very fascinating. Acts 14, 14 to 17, also very revealing on general revelation. But God is revealed through creation in a general sense. Okay. The difficulty with general revelation is have no hermeneutic for it. I can see that God exists. I mean, I can look at the design of reality and to say, "Well, no, there was no designer behind that." I mean, come on, that's it's difficult to do that, right? I mean, there's a, an immense amount of faith that that takes. a look at the human body itself. The human anatomy is incredible. Uh, the idea that it just happened by chance is just, honestly, it's unbelievable, right? It, there's just no way. Uh, And so I I can see that God exists, I can see that there's a designer, but I don't know specifics about him by looking at general revelation. And if I do, I have no way of interpreting it. I haven't been given a hermeneutic for understanding it. The Bible doesn't reveal that there's some hermeneutic for understanding it either. So I'm really at a loss there. There's a lot of benefit, right? I can see God's existence, and it's enough to hold me accountable. right? Romans 1 tells us that the suppression of the truth leads to God's judgment and wrath. So I'm accountable for it, uh, but I, I, I can't understand specifics. So next we get to special revelation paul uh, the uh, the famous passage in 2 Timothy three sixteen to seventeen is Paul writes to Timothy, uh, you know all scripture is God breathed, comes from the mouth of God, uh, and so it is God's message. all scripture is God's message, and, and he talks about the benefits there of the scriptures and the purpose of the scriptures there, but nonetheless, God's special revelation, the scriptures. Are revelation from God, which are specific and special, and there is an interpretive method for that, and that's what this whole podcast is about. Thirdly, you've got personal revelation, and this is uh, not personal, as in God spoke to me personally, but revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? John one eighteen deals with Jesus revealing God Himself. You've seen Him. You've seen the Father. Uh, Hebrews one three exact. A representation the radiance of God's glory Colossians 1 deals with uh, the the image of God in Christ right the fullness of God dwelling in Christ and so we see personal revelation but again Jesus isn't walking on the earth right now and so I can't go up to him and ask him questions right how do I know Jesus well I read the scriptures because the special revelation reveals those things about Jesus and so my, my point with all this is there's three ways in which God has communicated, but there's only one in which I have a particular hermeneutic that defines reality. And the benefit, uh, or God has blessed us in such a way that the scriptures are sufficient, which means they're enough. The scriptures are enough for all things pertaining to life and godliness. Right? And we see in Second uh, Peter 1 that God's provided us all those things. And I would suggest it's through the scriptures that we have it. And it's enough to, to, allow, to equip us and make us adequate for everything God would have us do. Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 9, 10, I believe it stops at Ephesians two ten. Or Or 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17 deals us with that we can be equipped and adequate for every good work. Right? And then Ephesians 2 tells us what those good works are. And so the scriptures are enough, they're sufficient, and it's God's revelation. And which means that the, as we look at worldview. This matters because if God is authoritative and God is communicated through the scriptures, then the scriptures are authoritative. And so how do I define my worldview? What is the biblical worldview based on? There's a reason it's called the biblical worldview is because it's based on the Bible. The Bible, God revealed uh, through the scriptures. The scriptures are our source of authority uh, for defining all of worldview. And so God is the authority; He's communicated through the scriptures and that That is the revealer of truth. And so the Scripture is authoritative. And so I guess I would ask this. uh, If the Scriptures are authoritative, our hermeneutic approach must be based on God's authority for it to result in the biblical worldview. And so as described earlier, this results in the necessity of the hermeneutic approach to be ascertained through the pages of Scripture, And so as we look at the Bible, what can be uh, uh, revealed to us regarding how we are to understand the Scriptures? Because if we we don't pull our interpretive method from the Scriptures, we're getting it from something, from somewhere. Uh, And if we get it from somewhere else, now God isn't the source of authority. At least he's not exclusively authoritative in our worldview because we've pulled it from something else to establish an interpretive method. And so we have to get our interpretive method from the scriptures. If we don't, then uh, we're missing the biblical aspect of the biblical worldview, at least in part. And so biblical hermeneutics matters because the biblical worldview matters. And the biblical worldview is established uh, through the scriptures using the biblical uh, interpretive method. And so maybe put it in a different way like this. Biblical hermeneutics matters. Because biblical hermeneutics is the interpretive method derived from the rightful source of authority leading to proper and right living. Okay, So as as we look at the Bible as the authority of the biblical worldview, and then we understand it based on a biblical hermeneutic, it leads to right metaphysics or understanding of reality, which then leads us to a proper living as an individual or ethics. And then it also leads us to a proper living as a group or society, and that is uh, sociopolitical thought. Right? So it's all, it's all based on the biblical hermeneutic, which is based on the right source of authority. And so if we get that wrong, the rest of it's wrong. And I would rather live according to truth, even if sometimes I don't like it, than live according to falsehood uh, and just be living a lie. Right? And so biblical hermeneutics matters for that reason. So, in the next couple episodes, we're going to have some other uh, professionals, some other uh, scholars in on the discussion, talking through this idea of why biblical hermeneutics. I know in this podcast, this episode, it was a lot of information. I'm going to try to keep that up. Uh, I w- I want uh, to have, I want it to be full. I want each episode to be worth listening to because you get a lot out of it. It's rich. Uh, I mean, it, it would delight me if you had to listen to it twice because there's just so much there, right? So, so that's kind of my that's what i'm striving for i want it to be full i want it to be educational and ultimately i want it to be beneficial to you uh, again as we strive to live rightly uh, glorifying the lord in all we do so look forward to seeing you next time until then have a wonderful time and uh, i'll see you then